Good morning, church. And as you are turning to Matthew chapter 22, I want you to think back with me when you were in school, when maybe when you were in high school or college, and your English teacher gives you a reading and writing assignment of the greatest Shakespeare play ever written. Right? This could be Hamlet, Romeo and Juliet. Uh, spoiler, they all die. This could be Othello. This could be King Lear. This could be Macbeth. This could be, and so on. This could be a number of different plays. Now, some of you in the room just got really excited, didn't you? You just started looking at the plot arc and the, thinking about the characters and, and the different symbolism that's going to be in it. And then most of you probably just remember that anxious, sinking feeling of, do I really have to do that? Now, mo the, those of you in, in the do I really have to do that crowd probably, like myself, put it off till the very last minute to get started. And you start working on it and you, you start looking at, at the, the, the book and, and reading the play and then you quickly realize and start asking yourself, Am I ever going to get this done? Now, in that moment, like myself, allegedly, probably you had the same feeling or, or experience where it felt like then the clouds parted and an angel came down and gave you the cliff notes. <laughs> now, if you are acting innocent and you don't know what cliff notes are, they've been out since the 60s, 60s and they take every novel that has ever been written or assigned as an assignment and they give you all the themes and all the characters and tell you the plot and you would look it over allegedly and sure enough you would have a paper to turn in the next morning wouldn't you well cliff notes is not a novel thing we will see in the Gospels, Jesus probably was the originator of cliff notes. So look at the passage with me, starting verse 34. It says this, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? So we've seen over the last few weeks that we're, this is during Passion Week. So Jesus, has, he, on triumphal entry, came into Jerusalem. And every day he's been going to the temple. And the Sadducees and the Pharisees and even the Herodians were gathering together to quiz Jesus, to test him, to make him stumble in his words so that they could humiliate him and, and tear him down. So last week we, we saw that the Sadducees and the Herodians came and they questioned Jesus. And in our passage, it says they went away silenced. Or you could also interpret it that Jesus muzzled them because his, his responses were so just mind-blowing to the crowds and, and to the people asking the questions. So the Pharisees get together and they have their own holy huddle, right? And they're talking about how, how are we going to trick Jesus up? And so they put together this question and an expert of the law comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, tell me this. What is the greatest commandment? Now, there are lots of commandments. Uh, and so what they were thinking is, didn't matter what Jesus said, they probably could have taken his answer and made a case why it wasn't the greatest commandment and why Jesus was a fool for even saying the one that he did. So let's look at Jesus' response. But I don't wanna, I wanna actually skip down to the last part of his response on verse 40. So look at verse 40 with me. 
It says this, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. On these two commandments, so Jesus actually gave them two commandments to the question. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. I want to start there because it is easy to read God's word and have a statement like that and just go, that's nice, and keep reading, isn't it? What this is, this is a big neon flashing sign saying, stop, look at what Jesus just said, because the law and the prophets is that much of your Bible. This is the Bible cliff notes, what Jesus just said, the law given to people to, so that they would live up to what, what God's standard was, so they would know what his standard was. The prophets, the prophets were sent by God to call people back to the standard God was calling them to. And this, these two commandments that Jesus gives them this morning is what they all hang on. So what did he say? Let's look. Verse 37. Here's Jesus, the start of his answer. And he, being Jesus, said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. What an answer. These, this is the cliff notes of the whole Old Testament. So what is Jesus saying? What are these two commandments? Well, first, the, this first commandment is the commandment of our first love. What is our first love? Not first in terms of it was first in our life, but first in terms of priority. Our first love being God, loving him with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. And this morning, it doesn't matter where you are with God. You should already be asking the question, how do you even do this? How is this even possible to love God with all of you like Jesus is talking about? I mean, you are signing the deed of your life over to God if you follow this commandment. And you're creating this fight within yourself, right? Because you have the perfect, pure will of God for your life against my selfishness. Right? So then it is a constant fight for the heart and how you feel, your control center, a constant fight for your soul or who you are, your identity, a constant fight for your mind and what you think and how you reason and what you put into your mind. I mean, this is far more than just a general belief in God that he exists and this isn't just a quick life hack or a shortcut to better living. This isn't God saying, you know what? If you obey me with all your heart, soul, and mind, then you will be following my law, right? This is more than just coming to church, reading your Bible, and praying. This is far more than, you know what? If I love God, then I will get his benefits. If I love him with my heart, soul, and mind, then I'll get good health or I'll get heaven this isn't what God's calling us to. So what is he calling us to? He is saying that we need to fall deeply in love with an affectionate love, a reasoned love with all of ourselves and who he is. 
I mean, when I think of a love like this, an example in the Bible, I think of like King David. King David was known as what? A man after God's own heart. What does that even mean? Did, did David perfectly love God with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind, all the time? No, he was a big failure many of the times. But what he, what he did, though, is he affectionately loved God. I mean, think about it. He woke up in the morning. He just riffed on his heart, praising, Jesus, praising God for who he is. And then he would go to bed, and he would count his statutes. He would think of God's law, reminding his heart, reminding who he is, reminding his mind of who God is and why he loves him. So yes, David didn't perfectly live out this commandment, but he was journeying along with God to grow in his affection for who he was and who he was in God and that he was, was God's. And we are called to do the same. A, a kind of a modern picture of this recently in the news is through a man named Kanye West. A lot of Kanye West fans out here. If you don't know who Kanye West is, he is a rap artist. He also is a fashion designer. Um, he's married to Kim Kardashian, who has 150 million followers on Instagram. And if you've been following along in his career, he kind of came onto the scene 15 years ago when I was in high school. When he came out, his album was everywhere. And if you've kind of been following along, his albums are filled with, you know, self-gratification uh, and misogyny and, and every perverse thing that you can think about. Well, about a week ago, he came out with his latest album called Jesus is King. Now, you have to remember, his previous album, he had a record on it that said, I am God. That was the title of a song. Now his latest is Jesus is King. And as, what it se as he's been doing interviews and kind of reading articles on it, it seems like it is a legitimate conversion. It seems like he has given himself over to Jesus. And he, said, and he is saying, I don't care who knows. I just want everyone to know Jesus is King. If you watch interviews, it's interesting. All these interviewers who have avoided at all costs saying the name Jesus now, their interviews are just littered with saying, Jesus is king. The latest album, Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Uh, in an interview with Jimmy Kimmel, uh, Jimmy Kimmel was asking Kanye, Kanye, does this mean that you are now a Christian rap artist? Which kind of is derogatory because Christians are horrible at rap historically. And his response is just pure gold. He says, no, I'm a Christian everything. I am a Christian everything. I mean, what does that mean for us? If we are saying Jesus is a king and we are a Christian everything, that doesn't mean that you're just a Christian son and daughter, brother, sister, mom, dad, employee, employer. That means you are a Christian everything. And there's costs with that, isn't it? There are great costs with that. And, and so for us, we need to be people who are proclaiming and admitting that we are Christian everything because we love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. And only we do this, we don't, we're not gonna do this perfectly. We only can do this because of what Christ has done on the cross, because of his saving and redeeming work for us. Because when we fall short, when, when, we, when our heart wanders off and loves something else, 
Jesus covers the, dif- dis- the difference. When our soul, when we find identity in something else other than God, Jesus covers us in his righteousness. When our mind lusts after other things, Jesus is there to proclaim who he is on us and to journey right alongside us as we go in this journey and increasing our love for who we all are for God. And this might feel extreme. This, it should be because it is impossible to do this on your own because we're really good at collecting other loves, aren't we? We're kind of like a black wool suit and we just collect lint. Because we love other things. Our, our mind, our heart, our soul easily wanders. Um, Cody Nord, our, one of our middle school director, he, he gave me this next illustration and I think it's excellent because when we were in high school, all the athletes, and maybe if you were part of the band team or the marching band, and we would be working to get letters to put on our letterman jacket, wouldn't we? And you would get patches for your success. And my father-in-law always likes to remind me that he got 10 high school letters in high school. <laughs> right? And your name would be on the back. And, and if you were a scholar athlete, you'd get a patch to put that on your sleeve. And and you would just be decorated out. You would, you would be working your whole high school career to get more and more patches just to show how good of an athlete and a scholar you were. And then what happens when you graduate high school? I don't think I've seen one college student ever wear a Letterman jacket. Even if it was freezing outside and that was the only jacket they owned, they would not wear their Letterman jacket. Right? Because it was back in their parents' closet collecting dust. And all the different things that we pour our lives into, other things that we find as loves, are just like the Letterman jacket. The only thing that's going to matter after this life is that love for God and who he is and how we have dedicated our heart, soul, and mind to him because we're Christian everythings. I mean, application from this could go a million different ways. But there is a main ingredient, I believe, that I've seen only, not only in God's word, but it lived out in my life and in mentors' lives and, and other fellow Christians' life is this. If we are going to love God with our heart, soul, and mind, we have to give God time. We have to give him time because he's worth it. If he is going to be our number one love, we have to give him adequate time. We have to be in his word. We have to be with him in communion. We have to be not only that, but showing or serving him and worshiping him and and increasing that affection in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls. Because anything that we love, we give time. Right, just like a, a new couple that, that has just started dating and they're in the giggly phase, right? Uh, and they, they just can't wait to be with each other. And then they're not with each other. They're on the phone with one another for all hours of the night. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. We need to do the same thing with God and give him, because if he is our primary love, we need to give him our time. Look how God instructs the Israelites to use their time. In Deuteronomy 6 Verse five, it says this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. 
Tie them as symbols on our hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. So what, what were the Israelites supposed to do? They, they were supposed to give adequate time to always have God right in the front of their brain. Right? They're passing on who God is and his character and his attributes on to the next generation. Right? When, they, when they sit, when they walk, when they lie down, when they rise up, they're even supposed to put reminders on their door frames, in their houses, on their gates, so that when they would see it, they would remember what God has done and what he's going to continue to do in their life. All of this takes time because time is our most precious resource, isn't it? You can't buy more of it. And when it runs out, what happens? That's it. And so we need to give God, as our first love, adequate time. So the second commandment is we are to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. But this is a commandment to how we worship. So if we love God with all we are, our whole being, how is that going to play out in our lives? How are we going to live in worship in him? What is that? And so he calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves. I mean, and then when you start to think about it, this, this sounds almost just as difficult, if not more than the first one, doesn't it? Because if I'm honest, I'm really good at loving myself. I'm acutely aware of my needs and even more aware of my wants, right? I know when I'm hungry, I know not just what I want to eat, but where I want to eat it and what flavors I want to taste, right? I know when I'm tired. I know when I'm ready to have fun or when I need to be alone. I know when I need clothes. I know when we all know our needs at a very deep level, don't we? And yet we are being commanded that that's exactly what we should do for our neighbors, for others. That that we don't, they're not telling us, but we are to love them like we love ourselves. And this is, is impossible to love someone that much unless you're operating out of the love that you have for God. Because Jesus is calling us to work equally to be attuned to the care of others, to use our resources, to learn about others' needs. This is how the church makes the invisible Christ visible. That when we leave this place, when we leave out of these walls and we go to our communities, we go to our places of work, we go to our families, that we are making the invisible Christ visible. Because in loving others, when you love God with all you are, you are always pointing back to him. Because he paid our cost. He took care of our greatest need. He loved us as he would have wanted to be loved, didn't he? He loved us in the greatest way possible. But isn't this kind of love foreign in our, in our world today? It is so unique. And it was unique 2,000 years ago. In the second century, uh, the Roman emperor Julian, who was a nasty persecutor of Christians, in a, in a moment of anger, he actually told his friend, and it was written down, and he admitted that he couldn't stop the growth of the church no matter how many Christians he jailed or killed because of these infernal Galileans fed our poor along with their own. So not only did they take care of the lowly in their community, they took care of the Romans lowly. They took care of the other people in the other communities. That was unheard of in that day and age. And we, as Christians, we have a rich history of, of Christians loving others as they need to be loved, as they would want to be loved. 
If you look at, I mean, how many hospitals and colleges and schools and orphanages all pay tribute to Christ and who he is because Christians set it up because they, they see a need and they want to love others as they would want to be loved at their greatest need. Locally, look at Mission Hospital. It is a St. Joseph's Providence Hospital that was started by four nuns coming down the West Coast in 1856 because they saw a need and saw a way that people needed to be loved the way that they would want to be loved. And I fully believe that when you love God with all you are, you can't help but love others in this way because they're linked. These two commandments are linked. That's why Jesus gave us two, not one. Because in, in the process of loving him, we worship him by loving others. And we can't love others the way that we're being called to love without loving him. It, it kind of goes back and forth. Look how Jesus told his disciples to love. In Matthew 25, verse 34, it says this. Then the king, who is Jesus, will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we... Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of these, the least of these, my brothers, you did unto me. And this is how we make the invisible Christ visible. Not because we're looking for that good feeling. Not because we're trying to make the world a better place. Not, not because for any of those other reasons other than we're doing it out of worship for Christ. That we would want to serve him because we love him with our whole being. And I hope that we can just set all of you free as we leave this place to love your neighbors as you would want to love yourself. Um, I would hope that even right now you are thinking through who... What neighbor in my life is God calling me to love in this way, in this extreme way that we're being called to? I mean, I almost can see just pictures of people above your head as you're thinking about it. And this, this doesn't have to be just one person. You know, in the commandment, it's a metaphorical neighbor. But sometimes the hardest person to love is our neighbor, isn't it? The person that lives right next to us. About three months ago, um, my wife and I, we, we moved to a new street, and then my brother bought the house three doors down from us. So we actually live on the same street. So on Thursday, we went trick-or-treating together. Um, we both have two-year-olds, and so we took um, Buzz Lightyear and a fireman trick-or-treating on Thursday, and we, we used it as a great excuse to get to know our new neighbors. And so we were walking around. We only went to, you know, the people right close to us. So we went to four or five houses. About the third house in, we come up to this house and we trick or treat. Uh, you know, they knock on the door and this older gentleman answers the door. Um, in our conversation, quickly we learn he's lived there for a very long time. Uh, and then he go, we, we kind of, oh yeah, we moved into these houses. And he goes, oh, that's the house where the Christians lived. Are you a Christian? Yes. <laughs> we know who our neighbor is now that we need to love as we would want to be loved, don't we? 
Or if you're in school, man, if you're in high school, your school is littered with people that need to be loved the way that you want to be loved. When I was in high school, there was a guy named Steve that was the smallest, weakest, highest pitched, pimply faced kid in all of our school. And he went out for football freshman year. In the first week of Hell Week, he broke his collarbone. So then he's in a sling for six weeks, right? And he has to answer why he's in a sling for six weeks. First day back to football, he gets cleared to play. First day back, he breaks the other collarbone. <laughs> that was the end of his football career. Steve also was the kid that was in everyone's business. He knew all the rumors, all the going on. It, it, very quickly, it was evident to me that no one wanted to be around Steve. And unfortunately, I would be included in that. To love your neighbor as you love yourself, you need to find the Steves in your life. So, and this could be someone at work. This could be someone in your family. I mean, talk about hard to love family members. Thanksgiving is coming in three weeks. And if you don't have a Steve in your life, then you, well, never mind, don't worry about it. But we need to find the Steves in our life. I, this also includes people in our communities that are different from us. Do you know here in San Juan Capistrano, we have one of the largest disparities of income of all the U.S. We have the wealthy of wealthy, but we also have some of the most poor communities. And here, right here, we are on the dividing line as a church. I've been convicted the last few months. I don't feel like myself personally and as a church, we've done a very good job reaching out to our literal neighbors on the other side of this wall where there are many things that we wouldn't condone, but we can still love them as Christ has loved us, can't we? So I've been in conversation with one of our newest missionaries, uh, John and Heather Chapman. They're gonna be here in December. And they, their whole ministry is ministering to the underprivileged here in San Juan Capistrano. And we're talking about starting a tutoring, one time a week tutoring time um, over in the community, Casa Capistrano, our neighbors right here. If you would like to join me or even interested in joining me, please find me after the service. I would love to give you the information or put you on an interested list. That's the kind of love that we need to be about. One that costs us something, one that's going to take our resources and take our time, not for any other reason than out of worship for God, because he has called us to worship him that way. One of my favorite things about working here at church is I get to catch many of you loving your neighbors as you love yourself. Uh, it is life-giving to me when I see this take place. A few weeks ago, a group of us on staff went up to the OC rescue mission and we were working away and all of a sudden I see it here, hey Micah, what are you doing here? And it was one of our church members who goes up to the OC rescue mission every week to tutor math. And even in that conversation, we got talking about another church member who, who donated some things that they needed at the OC Rescue Mission. Or another member here at the church who, who, I didn't learn about this from him, but he goes to a food pantry over here at the mission several times a week. And I could go on and on and on, but to see how you guys figure out how you have skills that God has given you to live out, loving God with all you are, and because of that, you want to love your neighbors as yourself, is life-giving not just to you, but to everyone else when they find out that that's how the Lord is using you. And so you could be sitting here going, now there's many great um, organizations and people doing good things. How does it make it any different to serve others in this way? 
Well, I would say it's not about what you particularly do, but why you do it, right? Again, it's not because of that good feeling or because we want to make the world a better place. Those things are going to find themselves shallow and wanting. But the reason why we are serving others is because we have a great king, right? We want to make the invisible Christ visible, something that's eternal, not something that's temporary, something that is everlasting, something that has meaning, And so I want to challenge you this week. Remember those people that you were identifying, those Steves in your life. I want to challenge you because I think one of the great ingredients of loving your neighbor as you love yourself is prayer. You have to be in prayer for the people that you're going to love. Because there, there is a supernatural aspect to that. You need to be praying for them, but you also need to be praying for your heart and to have empathy for their situation, to be looking how you can serve them because people don't necessarily come, hey, I need to be loved and this is what I need, right? You need to be asking, about how do you serve this person? What, what is going to really love them, to show them Christ's love, to, hey, God, make a divine appointment that will give me an opportunity to serve them this way, to have conversa- more conversations with them, just like that neighbor on my street, Right? And so I want to challenge all of you that that person that you were thinking about earlier, take this next week, the next seven days, and commit to pray for them for five minutes a day. Just test God in prayer. God, you've called me to love my neighbor as myself. What happens when I take them and I devote them to prayer just for one week? And whatever God does, please let me know. Okay? So we are called to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all of us, and then to love our neighbor's as ourselves. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room. As we journey along together to love you with our whole being, I pray that we will love our neighbors, that we love each other, but we will love our community like we love ourselves. And we will do that as worship unto you, not out of guilt, not out of duty, but solely because Christ loved us at our greatest need, solely because we see how beautiful he is and how he has served us. And we just, we want to worship you. We are inspired. We we are motivated to worship you because we, what we have in Jesus, making the invisible Christ visible. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.